Resuming. Weird. World. Order. Broadcast. Dynatherms connected. Initiating broadcast signal in... Ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd Old Order, this is the Nerd Old Order broadcast. I'm the man that you call Dukes, and to my right, it's all about the... Booyah, what's up, it's your boy Joe, baby. And to my other, other right, Adrian, the prophet Al- alpha, the nerdy act. What's up, Adrian? Hey, Nerd World, nerd world, world Order, sorry, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Am I coming yeah, we can you? hear you just fine, man. Hey, thank you, Mr. Dukes, and thank you for having me on. Uh, uh, it is my honor and privilege to be your guest here today. Hey, let's get it. Yeah, let's let's do this, man. It is excellent to have you on. You guys are probably wondering, where's Alfonso? Alfonso had himself a little family emergency. However, we have a man who my son, I walked away from talking to Adrian, and my son said, Dad... That guy knows about as much as about comic books as you do, and I was like, I was, I was like, come on now, son, that's some <laughs> strong stuff. But I have to agree, Adrian knows as much about comic books as I do. He's an old school nerd, just like me and Joe, and we are very excited to have him on today. So, welcome to the show, Adrian. Yeah. Uh, again, thank you. Um, yes. Uh, when we met, uh, we met at uh, Nerds and Hip Hop. Uh, General Josh was. Uh, uh, event space and i i like your son i, I love the engagement that we had it was probably about 25 minutes or more that we were engaging about comic books and uh comic books are really kind of my uh nerd core origin or, or origin story uh uh i got into comic books uh mainly be, uh writing big wheels and alleys of chicago when i came across a burned down comic book store and me and my friends we went into this burned down comic book store in Chicago in like, uh, I think it was like maybe 84. And we found all these just, some of them were <laughs> suffering from water damage. Some of them had smoke damage, but some of them were actually in great shape. And that's how I started actually collecting. I, I always read, but uh, it was that's just my origin story of what I embraced about nerd culture and uh uh, I, I haven't looked back since. I think it's modeled my life in a way. I mean, if you look at my background, it's all, I got the heads of heroes, like Thanos. <laughs> so uh, I'm all in on it. So That's awesome, man. So, you know, talking to you, you talked a little bit about you have Nerdyac Comics, Nerdyac Entertainment, and... Also, you have Nerdyac Music as well, which is part of Nerdyac Entertainment. Can you tell the ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd Old Order a little bit about uh, the Nerdyac uh, Entertainment Group and what that encompasses? Wow. Oh, man, I'll, I'll tell you, it has been a world of my own creation, and I've been blessed to be able to uh, be in a position to where uh, financially and just time-wise, I was able to take my passion of collecting and reading comic books and, and, and watching movies and 
listening to music and really look at my landscape here in uh, Temecula, Marietta, California area, which has, in the IE, just in general, there's a, there's a lot of talent that has not really been looked at or, or tapped into. And after I retired from the military, I was working for the government, uh, but I was still always kind of immersed in like comic con. I, I, I'm a, I've been going to San Diego Comic Con for like 20 years straight, meaning I, I'm ritualistic about it. So a lot of my branding or just uh, my need to want to build something really came from me just going to Comic Con so many years and seeing all these different creators uh, of different uh, genres, whether it was comic books, movies, or, or, and, and now up until recently where music is starting to really shape a lot of how uh, nerds uh, can congregate and use music uh, to interpret uh, any uh, positive aspects of nerd culture with uh, you know, blurs, uh black mm -hmm. nerd, nerds. Uh, I think music is probably a a, an element that has not really been tapped into for mainstream nerd culture. Meaning, like, if you go to conventions, you'll never really see any, like, musician, uh, music acts or things like that. And I was like, hey, you know what? Let me find some artists in the music spectrum, right, that can be lyrically diverse based off of uh, nerd lore, but still be super relevant to where they don't come off as corny or comic booky. Mm -hmm. um, and I found I found an artist, uh, he goes by the name of uh, Taylor Ray. And okay. uh, he's been uh, local here in the IE for at least 10, 15 years uh, as a group uh, that was called the Go-Getters. And that was uh, Corey Schuler. Taylor Ray, Tribble, um, and Tony Cook, they were the go-getters. If you were to do a deep dive, they have like a rich history even on YouTube of producing music and stuff. But Taylor specifically could literally take comic book lore or nerd lore from movies or, 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 or just all the tropes that we would normally repeat in movie lines and put them in lyrics with hardcore deliveries, you know what I mean? Like, if you nice. look at hip hop, uh, uh, Nerdy Act Music, the aspect of it is, my, my tagline is, uh, there's too many villains in hip hop. <laughs> there just is. If you listen to mainstream hip hop, it's just all villains. So I wanna create heroes. <laughs> and I think I got a winning thing, but the thing is, is that uh, I don't know how to go viral yet. And if I think I, once everything is done, I mean, you've, uh, I have the uh, film division uh, that I produce in uh, EP uh, feature films with a uh, talent that I met through comics, uh, mainly through, uh, I told you that uh, we have a mutual friend, Ryan Haggerty, that um, he was on your show and uh, yeah. Ryan had a, a beautiful comic book shop here in uh, Marietta and he brought a lot of talent that would not really be seen in typical nerd culture, mm -hmm. but because of his uh, youth, uh, uh, he was black, 
He was a minority. He was attracting black and Latino and Asian nerds and white. But like I've done a deep dive into just nerd culture and black people really only make up 7%. Latinos make up about maybe 5%. And the rest of it is Asian and white. So my idea is that I'm making content for everybody, but if I try to extrapolate and build upon the black and Latino audience and build that up a couple of percentage points, then I think everybody eats. Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't really take much. And I feel that if I put it, uh, I have a very competent website that I, I, I have distribution through Marvel, DC, and all the independent comic distributors, I have a, a, a great uh, web web designer and uh, Gorilla FX, uh, James Curtis. Uh, and I'm going through a, a, a restructuring just on the visuals of it. I, I don't really get a lot of traffic on my website, but it's digital real estate, meaning I still have an inventory of about 10,000 line items that I load up. Um, I still sell on my platform, eBay, Instagram and all the other platforms. And so if I take all the revenue from all of them, I'm able to at least fund independent films because mostly all my profits has really been towards building the audience of uh, building the network of what Nerdyac is. So I haven't really spent any money on myself and I'm really taking whatever profits I sold uh, an amazing fantasy 15 in December 2001 for like 70 grand cash. And so, oh, wow. Like, I walked out of uh, Seattle, uh, uh, Emerald City mm -hmm. with like a briefcase. It was like the biggest boss moment I ever We were like counting out <laughs> thousands of dollars in the middle of Emerald City just for a, a, a 4.5 amazing fantasy. That's when it was at its peak. You know, wow. and I, I think I'm almost certain that I have the highest sale record for that graded copy of Amazing Fantasy. And then the comic right after I did that comic market took a downturn. And now that same book, I could literally probably go buy for 30 K. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sold it. It's all about seven. timing. Yeah, it is. And, <laughs> and it, 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 it helped me um, uh, finish uh, production on the visual album because um, my music portion, it'll, it'll all be more visual albums. Uh, Nerdy Act Music, The Nerdy Act Project, Volume 1. It's a visual mm -hmm. album. Uh, music has suffered through streaming, so I w am very reluctant just to release an audio portion of it. Mm -hmm. So I figured that if every song, it's a seven-piece video, visual, visual music comic, seven-piece, each song has visuals, and there's a and there's a, a underlying theme for each one. I have a comic, comic book inspired cover for each song. Um, I figured if I attach it as an audio and video compilation and box it up as a as a DVD, mm -hmm. I think I might be able to change at least the aspect of how artists have lost money and just relying on streaming. And, and I don't want to rely on just streaming. I want to create an actual physical product that even if major distributors don't care about physical products anymore, mm -hmm. I as creator, Hey, I'll, I'll take control of the physical aspects of it. 
I'll, yeah. I'll, I can take a couple of thousand dollars, print up, print up about 5,000 copies, and then sell them on my own out of, I'll go old school. I'll sell them out of the back of my trunk or I'll rip them, <laughs> you know? But yeah. that's just how I feel that I'm going to attack the problem personally. But through the comics, through the films and the partnerships and relationships that I have with the team that I have that does that can effectively produce feature films in a in a in a very effective effective and efficient time frame not high budget but as long as you can make a feature film that looks at least a hundred times more expensive than actually what you filmed it for mm -hmm. when meaning like for a very small investment as long as you can make it looks cinematic and have a competent story you can make a film on the cheap i don't want to give away all my secrets but <laughs> if i if i can fund feature films through the sales of comics right now uh i and then hopefully see a, a good return progressively over time it, it doesn't necessarily have to happen um right away but doing that um having the feature film get released on a streaming network and that's going to get released worldwide in the beginning of the year, Electric mm -hmm. Sleep. Yep. Uh, it has opened up doors for me. And I've had conversations with CEOs of streaming networks. So, you know, I didn't have before. And now I can email them and say, hey, I have more product. At least I might have a, a platform like Mamitu. To at least be able to put my product on without having to beg other streamers, I have a I have a relationship with a brand new streaming service that's geared towards college age creators. And hey, uh, I, as an old guy, we gotta uh, lift up our youth, uh, encourage their creativity. And suck all their life force out of them so we can live <laughs> I tell all my partners, hey man, you guys keep me young, man. I'll, 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 as long as you are creating and I can write a check and you can create, you really handle all the stress. And, you know, I actually, you actually get the reward because you don't have to go ask for funding or beg anybody for funding because I'm like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, stressful endeavor for these young guys who want to be in Hollywood or as writers or filmmakers. And I take my hat off to um, Theo Brown, who's the director of Electric Sleep, and Ben Taylor, who uh, can write a script of science fiction, horror, or, or love within a, within, uh, he can give you a great, great rough draft within maybe two weeks in, right. of a competent story. So in a nutshell, that's just what I'm about. Nerdy Act Comics is my main vehicle of income revenue, even though Nerdy Act Entertainment is the big umbrella tent that I'm trying to create that hopefully over time, um, God willing, it'll just create and build an audience. And by you having me on your show, um, maybe uh, I might even be able to get up your, your your crowd to just even click on my website nerdyacomics.com 
and see at least that I'm putting an effort into uh, um, creating a, a positive nerd culture for everybody, especially those who, you know, look like us and have yeah. kind of been left out um, in, in a lot of nerd conversations and a lot of nerd lore. And But if you look at uh, how nerd culture can affect uh, uh, people of color and uh, disenfranchised groups can be a positive aspect in the age of, uh, you know, cynicism and complainers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're, you're very right. When Joe and I started talking about, you know, like Nerd World Order long time ago, you know, one of the things we always say is people look at us and they literally look us like right in the face and go, you're not a nerd. You can't be a nerd. And, you know, Joe would be like, why? Because I play basketball and I can dunk on you, right? Yeah. It's like, why? Because I'm black, you know? And so it was like, you know, we we were like, Nerd World Order is like, it doesn't matter what you look like, your gender, your color, anything. You, ha you should never be looked at and be told, oh, you're not a nerd because X, Y, Z, Y. Because I'm not a geeky white boy, right? Well and sorry to interrupt and, and uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that and um it's it's really just a matter for me of just saying hey um comic book shops are are closing the the market uh to actually go to a comic book shop is really absent in a lot of areas in america oh yeah Especially yeah especially for black and latino people who really haven't experienced that sometimes when you go into a comic book shop man that that's like going to disneyland you know what i mean i've been in the comic book shops that were holes in the wall but because they had a great inventory i could be in there all day just especially in my youth thumbing yeah. through uh comics and finding books that i've always uh wanted to get or you know just the hunt and what I call my website is that I load all my all my comics on there from my personal collection. I even hold some back because it's just a lot of data entry. But if you go onto my comic shop on, uh, on my website, whenever you browse, I would like for all the users to think of it as like they're thumbing through a digital long box. If you know what going through a long box of comics is, you know how tedious it could be. I yeah. want people to visit my site and scroll through all my digital long boxes. <laughs> and I and I and I want to implore everybody who's listening that if you're in a desert area of comics books, and no matter where you are in the states, if you don't have access to comics, go to my site. I built a direct shipping in my in my uh, garage. I pack ship and I'll send directly to your house. I have about. 250 individual uh customers on my site uh regular which is pretty good even for a shop and i don't even have the overhead of the shop so that's that's pretty significant but i implore you uh if you're black and latino and you're in a comic book desert go to nerdyatcomics.com um reach out to nerdy at comics i'll give you a discount code for a year where you can get 10 to 15 percent off of different tier books I got a large inventory of all the new modern uh, uh, Marvel and DC, which I know a lot of people might complain about. But to me, 
those stories still resonate, man. I think uh, some of the writing in uh, the world building right now on the age of Krakoa for X-Men is next mm -hmm. level. I think it's next level. It's literally the most significant world building event in comic book history, what they're doing with the X-Men with Krakoa and moving the X-Men to Mars and, and, and terraforming Mars and then the Storm, Storm finally getting her dude as the true warrior goddess in Marvel lore where she's damn near equal to Thor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's just some really great world building going on, on comics right now that a lot of people might be sleeping on that as a distributor, I'm buying all these books because I think in 20 years, you know, I might get a payoff on them. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I, I know it clearly you're a fan of, uh, you know, the X-Men, the Krakoa stuff. That's all Hickman, right? Yes, Hickman did start the Krakoan age uh, with uh, Powers of X and um, Powers of X. House, House of X? X? No. House yes. X. Okay. Great. You were that, yeah. that was a great, great intro to that. Yeah, man. That was, I didn't know where he was going with that, you know, yeah. with the, because, uh, you know, they're going back in time, forward in time. And, and the way they pulled it all together at the end with Moira McTaggart, I was like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Hick Hickman is a very great world builder. Um, mm -hmm. uh, he just now relaunched the Ultimate Universe, which I think in our conversation last night that I said, whatever he's doing right now in modern comics for recreating the Ultimate Universe is probably precursor to the rebirth reboot of the MCU. Mainly because I say that is because Kevin Feige is in charge of all that now. He, yes. he runs comics, Marvel Studios. He's everything to do with Marvel is under his preview. Mm -hmm. And that's the, why Phase Four sucks. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I I hold Kevin Feige a little bit accountable for his overhype. But what do you mean little? He's in charge of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, little. He's a big responsibility. He's if if it's successful and we say Kevin Feige did well, then if Phase Four sucked donkey doo doo, then he's responsible for that as well. Which which phase just ended? Was it Phase Four or Phase Five? To be honest, I can't remember. See, that's why you can't remember because it sucked. But is it because of the fact that it happened? That Phase Four kind of happened during the pandemic, and then Phase Five. Yeah, isn't no. that what happened? No, I think if even your bottle of wine couldn't save this, if you rewatch Phase Four, butter. There's a couple of Phase Four that I like, but it, it, I I thought uh, Wakanda Forever. I thought Namor was for me a great character. I thought he was powerful. I thought he was ruthless. I thought when he killed Queen the Queen, <laughs> and then he looked. Syrian the face. <laughs> you, like, you know why that movie is terrible? Oh, you, no. you took away the whole concept of like, you know, uh, Chad with T'Challa's death. death. So T'Challa yeah, died, man. and then you got to kill the queen. Oh, let's she died too. Like that's bad storytelling. Okay, I think it was I, more than putting Siri through the paces just to build it, her up. The terrible doo doo. <laughs> okay, each one, each one has their own. I, yeah. I think that was the best. That's the best out of Phase Four, even if it is horrible on the standards of what came before it, which is uh, horrible. I, I'm willing to say you haven't seen the Marvels yet. Is that correct? 
I did see. I see every MCU movie. Oh, okay, and and you feel like the the Wakanda Forever was better than the Marvels? Yeah, Wakanda Forever is better than the Marvels. Oh wow! Okay, okay. See, remember, I'm just, the filtered just, one in the if, in the conversation. Namer alone out of Wakanda Forever, just for me seeing that interpretation of Namer. I know the name more, but that's all legal stuff. Um, I thought, I wish he would have been a little bit more yoked up. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's a fair criticism. Uh, but man, he looked like Superman to me, bro. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's Superman, bro. Bro, you, I, you're 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 tripping, dude. That is not I, Superman, <laughs> bro. You're reaching, bro. I'm like, not saying he is Superman. I'm saying hell the, no. the visual interpretation that you saw of Nam Namor in Wakanda huh? Forever, that dude was like Superman wrecking wrecking stuff, dude. I agree. I agree. But see, here's the thing: if you take Namor out of that movie. There is nothing exciting about it. I mean, I didn't care about Shuri's character. Uh, when Queen Mabunda died, I was like, to Joe's point, I'm like, oh, how are you going to have her die and have that be more of an emotional impact than the than the one minute they spent on Chadwick's death or the Black Panther's death? You know, I just and, you know, granted, Brian Coogler is an amazing director but he bit off way too much, tried to do too much. And I feel like the problem is getting back to Kevin Feige. It's like, I, we can say part of the issue was the pandemic derailing everything. We can say that part of it was the fact that they didn't have a plan. I don't know what the issue was, but they try to stuff too much into every movie and they don't have time to actually develop anything. Oh, and, and then, oh, by the way, he had a son. Oh, maybe if you would have told her that in the beginning, she would have went on a rampage. <laughs> Doo doo yeah, writing. Doo doo. Yeah, I, so I bad. That, that whole death of Chadwick just it threw them all, and nobody knew how to handle. They should have just recast them. I, I mean, I know yeah. plenty of actors that they could have filled that role. For that me, movie was so bad. Me, fans me, started saying you should recast them. Yeah, that's what well, people say. Me, the movie was well, so I think it'd be like a great T'Challa. I think uh -huh. Lorenz Tate. <laughs> Lorenz Tate from uh, he, he's on Power, but he was on Menace. He, was, he played O Dog in Menace to Society. He, Lorenz Tate is a great American, Black American actor. He played O. You ever seen Menace to Society? Have you ever seen that? I uh, you know. <laughs> I don't remember it if I did. I, I don't remember it if I did. That's a Google. Lorenz Tate, you'll see once you see his face, his whole family has a, a large acting history within Hollywood. But I think he would be a great fit. Um, uh, Denzel Washington's son is that not Tishala in a way? Doesn't he not fit that? In uh, a way? Yeah, he's an amazing actor. I'll, I'll he, let him do anything. Yeah, he would be a great Tishala. So there's pl plenty of actors that could have filled the role. I just, I, I don't know. You're right. I don't hate. Uh, Wakanda Forever. I just don't really have a negative opinion. You know, to be honest, that's cool. That that's cool, man. Like I said, me, me and Joe will bash any movie because I look at it like this. I grew up 
watching really bad special effects, but I loved it anyway because it was my comic books I grew up with, right? And so mm-hmm. for me to go from phase one, two, and part of three, just being hyped, being absolutely like a fanatic about these movies, and then phase four comes along and it's just like, eh, you know, you know eh. for me, man. Widow, Black Widow was just horrible. To me, Widow is actually the most horrible MCU movie they ever put out. Uh, they lost me when they made Taskmaster. <laughs> First Everything of all, it was yeah. clearly a dude in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. In every in every like uh, trailer and every aspect that they showed Taskmaster, even in like the behind the scenes, they showed the dude in the suit. Yeah. And then when they superimposed that girl's face on there, I was like, oh, my God, what are they doing? First well, that's of all, just Disney. That's Disney and um, their women agenda. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They they totally went woke. And I don't even like to say the word work because actually woke isn't really a bad thing. But I would say they went too far to the left where even for me, Black Widow, right? Black Widow, up until she started crying in Endgame, she was flawless warrior, bro. Black Widow would put hands on anybody. When she fought uh, Crossbones in um, Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. When they were fighting Mm -hmm. on top of the the MRAP and she, dog, yeah, that dog, Widow. She's she's she was literally my favorite fighter fighter in the MCU, hands down, to me. Oh yeah. that movie, I was like, what are they doing, bro? But I knew when she started crying in Avengers Endgame when she was at the uh when she was holding the meeting and she was crying by herself. I was like, oh yeah. Sorry, Widow. You're gonna die soon. <laughs> Kevin Feige for you. Yeah, I agree. I, I ne- I've always thought that Kevin Feige was overrated. I, I, I I'll never say that Kevin Feige has a I, I, I I don't even believe he really has a lot of comic book knowledge. I just think that was just something that Hollywood moniker put on that he was like this guru in comic book knowledge. I really don't see it because I don't see how you could have a lot of comic book knowledge and then allow some of your character characters characterizations to be changed so dramatically in the films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I I just think they were putting out so much that he just couldn't be on every one of them to oversee to make sure if it was good or bad. I think it was just too much for him to handle, which, you know, like if he was pretty good, he'd have a good people underneath them, call up, come up with knowledge and where they want to go. Cause you know, like what's the point of having cabin meetings every year or something like that for you to just drop the ball phase four where, you know, like he should have, it's okay for someone. The reason why I made Alan work is because I'll tell Alan, yeah, bro, that was dumb. You shouldn't do that. And he'd tell me that, dude, that's dumb. You shouldn't do that. And I think there aren't people telling Kevin Feige, like, yo, that's stupid. Why are we doing that? Which I'm glad Catherine Kennedy is out the picture. My boy Dave Filoni is in charge, bro, because finally someone is waking up and they're doing something about Star Wars, at least. Well, Filoni is like that guy right mm-hmm. after Lucas. I mean, yeah. he's Lucas's and it's almost like he bird Lucas Bird Filoni, right? Yeah, it's Padawan. Mm-hmm. I mean, him and Ken, Ken, Kathleen were like partners the whole time, but Filoni was his like man. That was like a brain cell clone. You know what I mean? At least for yeah. his passion for the lore. Um, yeah, 
Feige needs to go. They need they need to hire dude. They need to hire me to be running that MC. <laughs> Listen, part of my part of me even trying to even make multiple films is to actually say, hey man, I want to be like the Black Stan Lee, bro. I feel I feel like what Marvel and comic books need is another Stan Lee, and they don't have that. Stan Lee built Marvel just by having a conversation about comics, bro, and, and, and the importance of comics. They don't have anybody doing that. Hire me. I'll, I'll turn that around. I'll, 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 I'll keep all the white characters white <laughs> just so they don't say anything because, hey, man, my Steve Rogers is Captain America. I love Falcon Captain America, but he's not Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers has that that legacy that you just can't mess with. And fine, let Falcon be Captain America for a little bit. That's that's fine. They let Balky, they let Bucky be Captain America and they took it back. So they could take that mantle back. They don't have to keep Falcon as Captain America. They could just make Falcon way more doper than what he is. You know what I mean? Uh, man, there's a lot that I would do if you, you gave me the reins of, of creative input and uh, man, we, we, we would we would have another another legacy if I had their money behind me. <laughs> yeah, you know one one thing that I feel is really important is you let the right people perform the right jobs. You know, like you're when you talked about your team, you know you have the correct people in place and you let them do their thing and there's not so much oversight you know you talked about creative oversight there's there's a difference between oversight and control mm -hmm. you know you you steer people in the right direction and i feel the mm -hmm. problem with to me it's not even so much fihi at this point i feel like fihi's kind of like a puppet a puppet figure and Disney with their agenda, because it's not just Marvel. You can see it in all their projects. They're pushing an agenda. And, you know, I'm all for all forms of equality, uh, no matter what you're... Not if it's not organic, though. I mean, even... That's even my point. Even as minorities, I hate forced diversity, dude. Oh, I yeah. I tell them writing that they're just shoehorning stuff. They're not making it organic. And they lost the... To be honest, what I, I what I think it is uh -huh. is it's that a lot of the writers that they're hiring have grew up in an age of activism and not uh, exploration of what they're even like. Marvel might hire a writer that has no comic book knowledge, <laughs> like uh, hiring uh, Chloe Zhao to direct Eternals, all based off of the fact that she. <laughs> made this dreary goddamn homeless movie where people <laughs> are living dog and literally the same boring palette that she used for that movie that she won the oscar for she carried it over to the eternals yeah what are you thinking and then he had the balls to say this is our first oscar winning best picture now mind you i don't hate eternals but I, I like Eternals mainly because there's a lot of world building in that story. If you take away all the, 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 the horribleness of, 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 of the palette and just the boring story, there's some world building in there. There's a lot of uh, seed planting, uh, 
especially with the celestials, the cloning of the Eternals, the reservoir of clones, uh, how you eventually do bring Thanos back because Thanos is an Eternal. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, yeah. all of that, all of that is, uh, it, it was planted in Eternals. That's why I, like I said, I, I don't hate Eternals, but it is not, it, it could have been, What's your what's your pinnacle superhero film? What's your what's your what's your go to? What's your what's your um... Captain America Winter Soldier? Absolutely, yeah, I, I, I love I love Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> and man, dude, that was just like they captured Steve Rogers in the essence, and when he dived out off of, out of the Quinjet into the water. <laughs> And infiltrated the boat and was just like running down the hall, smacking people off of. I was like, oh. When he was like, when uh, Batrick was like, put your shield down. He was like, (laughs) 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 I loved it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, But I mean, Captain America: Winter Soldier is basically an espionage movie. It's not even really a super. Oh yeah. I agree, a hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I like, I like that equal with the first Incredible Hulk that um, Edward Norton. I think those two are like low key, like my my core favorites. That, um, yeah, man. When Hulk, like, look, when Hulk, <laughs> when um. Edward Norton transformed into the Hulk in the Bottle Factory, right? And he was only in the shadows, right? When he came out of the shadows, and all you saw was his face and his eyes, that shit was dope. That, that, movie, was, that movie was terrible, dude. Oh my god! Like, oh my god. <laughs> that's why. That's why your man never got a sequel. Joe, I, I got to disagree on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I recently watched it again, boy, bro. That was because you were funny, dude. I encourage you to watch that movie again, bro. You know why? You know why you like it now? Because Phase Four sucks so bad. You need something to believe in again. (laughs) The best, the best twenty-five minutes of pure action in MCU is that Hulk abomination fight in Harlem. That shit is pure Hulk. When he, when Bruce Banner jumps or, or or dives or falls out of the helicopter and he transforms right before he hits the ground and his fist comes out, duh. When he rips open that damn police car and makes two police car gloves, that was right out of the video game, that Hulk Ultimate Destruction video game. I was like, oh, they're they're, they're playing games with my emotions right now. That's the best 25 minutes of fighting between two powerhouses because the Abomination was no joke. Let's let's what what they did to Abomination and She-Hulk was a travesty. Yeah, it was a travesty compared to what he was like in the Incredible Hulk. Even even though they did visually improve him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in She Hulk, that they went for the more comedic stuff, which is one of the problems with Marvel right now. They want to, you know, turn everything into a punchline. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I absolutely, bro. I encourage you to watch that movie again, and you'll be like, "This is actually pretty dope." Yeah, it is. It's, it, yeah. It, it is. I, 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 that was the first movie that really, um, uh, even like when you bought, bought the Blu-ray, 
the behind the scenes or the, the deleted scenes where he kills himself in the uh, in uh, Antarctica and he smashes the glacier and mm -hmm. uh, the if you freeze frame it you actually see Captain America's frozen body in the glacier and it's just a quick little reference of being frozen in that ice that I was like I remember when it first came out I you know my wife she she wasn't into um nerd nerd cultures I would like freeze frame I was like look babe that's Captain America right there and she would just like look at me like I don't care <laughs> <laughs> big kid yeah back then back then it was different because they would give you those little easter eggs and you would see mm -hmm. stuff and you'd know what was coming whereas now were good, right remember the marvel one yeah. shots yes why would they stop doing that that was a great proof yeah it they just they just went for a different formula where they wanted to, uh, I think the agenda along with wanting to pump out as much stuff as possible. It just, you know, sidetracked it. So, um, says Godzilla minus one with the nerdy act today. You know what? You know what? Let's keep talking Marvel, man. Let's keep oh, talking really? Marvel. Cause yes, oh. yes, absolutely. Oh, let's yeah. Let's keep talking Marvel, man. Cause I want to like, hear what else Joe doesn't like. Everything. <laughs> you know, so did uh, I'm a, you asked me about the Marvels, right? Um, I didn't hate it, even though it was just cookie cutter. Um, I did not hate that movie. I thought, you know what? And I think maybe because I just like her as an actress that I just like Brie Larson just in general. And I just was not for some of the hate that she got during Captain Marvel. But my biggest gripe with Captain Marvel as a film was the uh, Flarkin scratching Nick Fury's eye when Nick Fury and Winter Soldier led us to believe that it was something way more serious than him getting us scratched in the eye by a cat. Yeah, well, it gets back to the fact that Marvel tries to make fun little cutesy jokes. Yeah. You know, it, it you just got to go serious with some stuff. It's like yeah. everybody can't be Deadpool. Everyone yeah. can't throw one-liners every 10 minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I didn't like that. There were a lot of things I didn't like about the first Captain Marvel, but I feel like in this Captain Marvel, uh, or the Marvels, you got a Captain Marvel that was more relatable and... I, I love Monica Rambeau. Um, mm -hmm. I I thought that Kamala Khan was great. She was likable. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't have it. I don't have any complaints. Uh, maybe that it was a different Nick Fury than we saw at the than we saw at the end of Secret Invasion. Like it was almost like. You mean a different Nick Fury through the whole Secret Invasion episodes? I mean, if you if Marvels is directly after Secret Invasion in 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 the time frame than the Nick Fury that we saw in Secret Invasion and the Nick Fury we saw in Marvels, he worked all his problems out. <laughs> like he was yeah, well he was super happy, bro. He was back in charge again after he had just got fired. I mean like it seemed like he didn't like it didn't take him much to get all his power back. Well I think the thing was that much like the rest of us, Nick Fury also wanted to forget Secret Invasion ever happened. So I no. mean <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> 
Um, so Loki season two is it, it, smart, smart writing, smart, smart television. I loved it. Everything about Loki season two, everything about it. I, I, I can't. When I saw how they were uh, using the time slipping in the in the conversations that they were having, I was like, oh man, that whoever that's that's super intelligent. Like you got to have a, a super high Q, IQ just to even follow some of that conversation. But it all made sense if you were like. If you were, they, they they actually handle time travel really well, Loki. To be honest, if 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 you know anything about time travel movies and how difficult that they can uh, mm-hmm. uh, be to make sense, if you know you keep using it, uh, they yes. handle time travel really well in Loki season two. Mm-hmm. I agree a hundred percent. I did not like Loki season two until the last episode. Because for me, it was kind of bouncing around. There were a lot of things happening or, that I personally felt didn't matter. But then that final episode, it kind of all coalesced. And it's like, okay. Sylvie didn't do anything with that damn bracelet that she stole from the... She was useless. Yeah. What did Sylvie do? She was just like... Especially how she left off, she caused all that by killing he who remains. Right? Mm-hmm. She, yeah. His time, his 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 timepiece, which basically is the the master key, right? Is it? It wasn't his thing, like the entire master key to all time travel. She had yes. access to it. Yes. She did nothing with it but go get a job at McDonald's, which I understand she wanted to go live her life. But they could have they could have made it a lot more tragic just by killing her <laughs> <laughs> i felt like she had to be in it but they didn't really want her to be in the show because every scene she had seemed pointless everything that she did seemed pointless even her romantic to connection to loki it seemed to seem to go away oh, yeah. Uh, yeah so it, it was like they're like well we can't just write her off and not explain it so they had her in there but didn't need to and I think maybe to go along with some of the criticisms, maybe they dumbed her down because they made her too significant in season one, where it almost mm-hmm. seems like she was the main Loki. You know what I mean? Yeah. In season one. It, it almost seemed like she was the main Loki and it was her story and not his that was more relevant. At least that's how I interpret it in the rewatch. It's fascinating because when you talk about the criticisms of Marvel, a lot of it, and you know, like with Blade, the Blade movie they were going to do, uh, I can never pronounce a brother's name, but he was like, I'm not going to be in this movie if it's about four women who are the main protagonists and Blade, who's a background character. And that, that was the whole thing. The whole problem with Marvel is they were, you know, forcing these things where like, oh, this character is more important than the character whose name is actually in the title. You know, they were making the female characters more important than the actual male star of the show just because that's what they wanted to do. So I feel like maybe they caught themselves and they pulled that back a lot because because I feel like a lot of the criticisms that you might have in phase four, you can't put on Loki for those reasons. You really can't. What do you think of Jonathan Majors in that one? Man, that that is a really sticky subject for me, right? Because I feel, first of all, phenomenal, amazing, love Jonathan Major. He killed it, right? I didn't like the, um, I didn't care for the Victor Timely character. I don't need him stuttering through the whole show, you know? I didn't care for that at all. But he killed it across the board. He killed it, right? But the thing is... I liked him as he remains. Yes, he's been... 
He's been he's been already decided and judged in the court of not even public opinion. Disney made a decision to consider him guilty. Now they're writing off King. But the more you look into his situation, he's not guilty, right? So here's the thing. Johnny Depp had to go to court to prove his innocence, right? Now now Disney wants Johnny Depp back for the Pirates of the Caribbean. But Jonathan Major doesn't get that opportunity. Why? Well, I mean, they didn't kill him off, but they did reduce him significantly. They wrote um, him off, dude. That You can tell they redid the ending, bro. Come well, on, Loki finishes at the end. They wrote him off, bro. Yeah, I. But if you listen to the conversation within the TVA, and if you look at how many times Victor Timely's essence was spread across the multiverse, right? Every time he entered into that thing, and they showed it, each time he turned into spaghetti, that was him spreading himself in the, in the multiverse. He All right, let me, let, let me rephrase it for you, buddy. They wrote him out. But they kept him open just yeah, in yeah. the event if he's innocent like Johnny Depp. Let's bring the brother back. Come on. But, but um, uh, the TVA agent, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, not Obi, but um, Morbius. They're like, uh, oh, yeah. Okay, we're, yeah. Uh, we're uh, looking for – they were searching for the rogue kings that were left within the existing sacred timeline. So mm-hmm. even though Loki did save the timelines – now. Did Loki become the world tree, or is Loki the time stone? Well, there was, like, things that I read, like, they're trying to do, like, live versions of the stones. Like, Loki would be the time stone, which would be the the red one. What's that word? I can't remember. The reality. The reality stone. And then I can't remember the other one. It was such powerful, like yeah, it was just doo doo. I was like, man, it's doo doo. Come on. I mean, but the stones, right? Even in their lore, even in the comic book history, they've never explored. Well, now they have each. There's a there's a physical representation of each stone. Now there's a person that represents the stone. They've assigned them to random characters in the new MCU timeline. They just did that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes sense, but uh, I'm very ambiguous because it looked like he just turned into uh, the World Tree Yggdrasil, and he was. Just, he did. To me, that's what it looked like. It, but the nature of the green stone, there was always like a green hue around everything. So I have to identify the stone with Loki and the tree somehow. And another thing, right? This is a theory, is that the Loki that we see in Ragnarok is the okay. all-knowing Loki, meaning the Loki that we see at the end of um, Loki season two. And the reason why I say that is because in season one of Loki, it was Sylvie who taught him how to glamour, meaning like she taught him how to glamour Goliath and put him under a spell and, and access Goliath's uh, emotions and and stop him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, if you pay attention to Ragnarok, when Loki comes across a Valkyrie, he glamours her. He he acts. He touches her head and he accesses her her thoughts and her past. He does. She does the same thing that Sylvie taught. Him. And in see, Loki season one, when Loki meets the other Th- Lokis, right? 
he asked the old Loki, remember the old Loki that had the comic accurate suit on? He said, mm -hmm. what did you do when you met Thanos? He said, when I saw Thanos, I reanimated and disguised the dead body and he thought it was me and all I did was float along endlessly until the TVA found me. That's what he said. Right. And so I'm a, what I would assume is that now Loki being a master of time, that even though he did die, I think he can go back. Because even in comics now, he's the master of stories. The Loki that is now, he's going back trying to correct his his old school reputation. And you notice that even in Rock, he really did. He was trying to correct a lot of his wrongs, you know, even though he was still a little mischievous. And that's just a, yeah. a, a theory that I have that, oh, so they're trying to say that Loki really didn't die in Endgame when he had that conversation. And you got to know that if you're watching a Loki's TV series, that Loki's going to win, right? I mean, that's just got to be the end game, right? Loki's yes. going to win, right? So Loki has access to all time, multiple. Uh, so I think that the Loki that we saw in Ragnarok is the all-knowing Loki. I think and, you're wrong. All right, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's a good theory. This is why I think you're wrong. I think it's wrong. Because that's a good theory from you. Yeah. Kevin Feige didn't think of that crap. <laughs> I'll tell you that. He didn't think that far ahead, bro. You know what I mean, dude? He couldn't think past phase four, man. That's a good theory, but he didn't think of that, bro. Come on, man. You're giving him too much credit and those writers to think that far ahead, bro. You don't, you don't think that. Come on, man. No. I, I, in comparison, right, the, the world building... So you think, yeah, maybe they don't talk to each other. Maybe they do. I, I, in, in a perfect world, every line said in every MCU production is relevant to a future storyline or, 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 or it is building on something else, even if it might be like, oh, uh, we're going to hire Matt Murdock as our attorney or, you know what I mean? Just mentioning their name. You don't even have to show mm -hmm. them. But just to mention their name sometimes. Oh, okay. We know that's coming. We know yeah. that's coming. You know, you know what I mean? One of the things you said was there was a lot of good world building in Eternals, right? That was like, in my opinion, the first movie of Phase 4. You could might say Spider-Man, but let's say that was, right? The, everything you talked about, Celestials, haven't done anything with it. Mm -hmm. um, like, nothing. Uh, the end of Blade was at the end of the movie. Didn't do anything mm -hmm. with it. Star Fox, end of the movie. Didn't do anything with it. That is basically the pattern of Phase 4, right? It, or the, the Celestial that came out of the ground and basically was in the ocean at the end of the movie. Nobody's mentioned that for all of phase four. There's a big giant celestial creeping up out of the ground in the middle of the ocean, and nobody's mentioned it. In I hear four movies. The, I hear that's what the Thunderbolts is about that they're going to be fighting over. Uh, and that's uh, precursor adamantium. That's uh, the whatever was whatever he was turned into is adamantium, not vibranium. But the original, like from what I interpreted from. Uh, Eternals, right? Vibranium is really a celestial seed <laughs> that exploded, right? Because the celestial armor is vibranium. So when uh, there was a celestial seed in Earth, there was also a celestial seed that was released at the end of Thor Ragnarok that they don't talk about. And that's why Suter 
destroyed Asgard. And Asgard blew up because there was a celestial seed with embedded in Asgard. Um, mm-hmm. But that's where vibranium comes from. It comes from the celestial seed, armor, whatever. Um, uh, that that I know to be true, but the the background shatter for Thunderbolts is that it's going to be a war over the Tiamat uh, island and the new metal that is mined from that. Because, you know, that's in... that, I don't think, of course they're not going to, I mean, yeah, they haven't brought it up in however many movies, like, except in a couple of blurbs uh, in newspaper articles within She-Hulk. But, uh, I, I you know they're not going to let that go. Dude, what we need to do is the next time they go to them little cabin meetings, we need to come, you know, like uh, my boy Bautista and knock was it, knock at the cabin yeah. and be like, "Yo, you have to pick and choose, Kevin Feige. Your Marvel universe is about to come crashing, bro. You need to pick and choose what you want to do, homie." Yeah, I, I think they should fire Kevin Feige in any new blood. To be honest, uh, you can't. I don't think that he actually has it in him to change the boat without uh yeah I, I i think right now because to be honest these conversations about kevin feige are are new he was invincible for a long long time people yeah were, people were like really putting him on a pedestal as you know this uh film producing god and i i, I always questioned his real real comic knowledge and, and i'm not gonna trash it completely but i'm not going to disagree with your fact that yeah phase four and phase five have really been subpar i mean they had some stinkers in phase one they had some stinkers in phase two there, there was some stinkers in phase three but it wasn't a a, a choo-choo train of, st- uh, of stinkers like they have lately um, I, in comparison though i i really like the flash <laughs> I thought Flash was good. I I thought Flash was a nostalgic, great uh, continuing story to end the Snyderverse. To be honest, I, mm-hmm. I, I thought it was I thought it was great. To be honest, I don't have anything negative to say about the Flash. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, dude. You know, what? It wasn't that bad. Oh, Joe. Great. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, great. What was your favorite scene in the Flash? I uh, probably like the the sequence of him like saving all the even though they, even in, like where they put the baby in the microwave. I thought that yeah, opening yeah. scene was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought that was. I like how you know, um, uh, if you want to go back to BVS, how in BVS when Bruce Wayne was having the fever dream of the future, yeah, and saw Flash break through the timeline to talk to him. Mm-hmm. I like how they did that within the flash to piggyback on that moment that flash was able to go back in time and talk to Bruce yeah. piercing through the time veil. Cause uh, when he learned how to use the chrono ball, he went back to the hospital scene and he peeked in and I was like, Oh, that's the Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. scene right there. Oh, that's really, really good. Yeah. Oh, I love Supergirl. I thought I, I she, she was, was good. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, 
you don't need a Justice League as long as you have two flashes. <laughs> yeah. They body they bodied a whole battalion of Kryptonians. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally. They Supergirl and two flashes and a rogue old school Batman body a whole battalion of Kryptonians. Sick. The, the issue I had with that was like a lot of DC animated um, movies and TV series are a lot better than the movies. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the reverse Flash when he was in the the Flash movie, the cartoon. I think we saw that at um, Comic-Con. Wonder, WonderCon. I think it was WonderCon yeah. at the little is, auditorium. Is that but, the old, the, the, the first crisis yeah. in the Earth with the yeah. reverse Flash? Yeah, with yes. the reverse Flash. I, that story was so good. I felt like you get disappointed because they're going to be doing that I'm going back in time and it changes stuff and it's not it's not what the animator it's it's so much material in there that I felt like they could do a live version of it. I mean they could tweak it a little bit but what's the, I don't understand there's not that many people that watch the animated series so even if you re, re, redo the movie and make it into a live action not that many people are going to know the direct story you know from yeah. the comics and the anime. For me like DC Premiere was always a plus there for a couple of years. Like mm-hmm. whatever DC premiere animation yeah. was putting out mm-hmm. was a plus. They have fallen off ever since they changed. They changed their animation style. Mm-hmm. They did whatever. They are not. They are not put, put, putting out the same level of like real comic booky action mm-hmm. stories. There's there's just a little bit of genericness to it now that mm-hmm. they didn't used to have. Uh, yeah um uh what if i think what if is a great great uh mcu mm-hmm. uh, world building uh engine mm-hmm. the entire concept of them putting what if visually is is ingenious for me mm-hmm. uh to, when i think about it i'm looking forward to the uh nine days of what if that they're going to be having oh yeah it's gonna be cool yeah that's gonna you, be you know like the they should have took a page from the what if, man, because Killmonger, bro, they, they didn't have to recast T'Challa, bro. They could have yeah. just kept him as Black Panther. Yeah. First of all, what I liked about that what if, right, is that you had this ultimate Ultron, right? But you had this strict. What if, right? He literally defeated this ultimate Ultron and took over, uh, took the stones from him, right? Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was ingenious. I, mm-hmm. I, I thought that that What If series, that especially that final episode with Killmonger, they yeah. did Killmonger even better justice than yeah. he did Killmonger in the Black Panther movie. That's <laughs> what I mean, because yeah. like, he could have like, you could have thought he died, but they brought him back for that dumb scene. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know... Yeah. I can't remember, I can't well, remember her name right now. So kill Killmonger because yeah. in Black Panther, T'Challa told him, "Hey, man." No, well, that's what I mean. That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah. They could have, they could have wrote if you know, like rest in peace, Chad Bowser. But if they could have redid that and just had yeah. him become Black Panther, yeah. now him fighting Namor would have been dope as hell. Super sick, dude. It would have been super sick. Now, see that well, story. That story. I think in their line of thinking. Killmonger would have been more likely to team up with Namor than be against him. I, I think you could have did the movie of his redemption arc. So, like, you remember his biggest beef was, like, you stood by and watched our people that wasn't yeah. just within this sphere die. Yeah. 
Yeah, and yeah. that would be a good redemption for him to be open to the world and do everything the right way this time, instead of like pinning, you know, like a big awards, him helping out the world now. I, I yeah. think that would have been a better story redemption yeah. for him. Uh, and it's a waste of uh, Michael B. Jordan. Just oh yeah, for sure. Ghost, get out of here, dude. Just mm -hmm. have him been in jail. <laughs> Let him out of jail. You got this fucking guy that's come out of the sea that's threatening us and yeah you know hey man tishala's gone you don't have another nemesis really you can yeah yeah you know if they were letting us like man i'm telling you they, they just need to let us let us in there dude let us yep. go to these little things dude let me knock on that cabin door no, that's that's why I stopped speculating how movies were going to be because <laughs> everything we talk about is way better than the actual movie. I just stopped speculating, stopped watching trailers for exactly that reason. Well, a lot of people put too much like um, faith in their own uh, vision of what, and then they're disappointed when it doesn't meet their own expectations. Uh, I, I I do like to see creators. Add a little something to it, but never take away. That's what I like. I don't want to see them take away anything. But if you want to add something to the character, then that's great. Uh, but don't 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 diminish the character or or, or lift another character up uh, just to uh, for for trends. Yes, you know? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're round in the corner. Uh, Prophet Alpha Nerdiac, you have done an excellent job because Alfonso is the positive. Alfonso is the positive energy man, and uh -huh. you're you're like you're bringing it, man. I awesome. want you back on the show because your I'll knowledge. Back, man. Hey, man, do, don't no, say that, man. Don't don't I say that because Alfonso's at home nursing the dog, bro. <laughs> I have four people on here. I wanted it to be four people anyway, but uh, I sit at home, dog, and I'm just doing. Uh, nerd stuff all the time. Nice. I don't. I don't really work for anybody anymore. I don't have. Luckily, I don't have anybody that I have to give the respect as a as a boss, other than the, my woman that I have equal. We're equals. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I give her her once, and she gives me her once, and I give her her space, and we get. I give my space and. That's that's yeah. the, the life that I have right now. <laughs> awesome. So I, I want to make sure I want to make sure everybody knows uh, your website. Let, let's just one more time talk about uh, your new movie. Let's just make sure everyone gets that. Could you go over that one more time? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, NerdyEckComics.com is uh, my website. Um, I have over ten thousand line items. There's uh, a precursor. Uh, visual uh, art music uh, that's that that's going to be part of my visual album if you go on my website you'll see uh, my artist Taylor Ray and you'll kind of see where I'm going in this visual music comic book realm uh, on the front page of my website um, through Nerdiac Entertainment and my collaboration with Commune Productions with uh, Ben Taylor the writer of uh, Electric Sleep uh, I, uh, we have a feature film, a sci-fi. So we like to call it a black sci-fi, uh, mainly because uh, if you're marketing uh, uh, sci-fi, the black market in film, in the film industry, 
it's not there's not a large uh sci-fi population and we figured that if we made a sci-fi a cop with a complicated story that had a good look to it it's it's not an oscar-winning film but it's a competent story and it's it, and it does lay the groundwork for some world building and some sequels so um we put that out there because it was an ambitious endeavor because it's hard to make your first movie be a sci-fi the next movie we have is uh that we just finished principal photography on uh it's going to be a horror uh based off of uh african-american folklore uh almost uh, a cross between like nightmare on elm street and hereditary uh type feel if, if if you're into horror or things like that um and the reason why i went horror is because horror you can make a pro produce a feature horror and see a bigger return horror movies typically always make their money back in more where a lot of movies might flounder be trying to build an audience horror uh, and and sometimes comedy they automatically have an audience every time you release one so that is the plan is to promote comics through my website uh create uh nerd blurred related music and visuals and to man uh continue to do feature films and hopefully each time i get to scale up to where eventually i get uh we get to these uh mcu level contracts <laughs> you know based off of our fact that we're we're trying to make pop culture related content and we are the type of people that you want to make your films based off of the fact that we know the history and stuff like that that's awesome man quick question um were were you reading comic books during the milestone era the first milestone era Yes, but during that era, uh, to be honest, if it wasn't Batman, it was all Marvel comics for me. I just, uh, I just really started getting into DC, uh, probably in the last ten years or so. Batman has always been my guy. I dabbled into Superman a little bit. I did collect, uh, just for uh, collector purposes. Um, all the first runs of the milestone, uh, meaning Static Shock, Icon, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the uh, Hardware, hard uh, Blood Syndicate. Yeah. All the first runs, I have them. I have them graded. I have them in pristine conditions. But I never read them. I, sometimes I just buy comic books just to store them. And, you know, the comic book medium is primarily the only media form where you could buy a, 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 a paper serial monthly right mm -hmm. and still either gain value or retain a value years down the line it's the only one that does that still um you can't really do that with any other magazine other than uh modern comics marvel specifically marvel is really the the main generator of uh comic collecting and comic values dc now that james gunn is taken back over there is a, a little bit more interest in old dc lore but you would literally see statistically how key issues of marvels meaning like the first appearance of marvel characters 
were just outselling the first appearance of like DC characters, aside from like Batman and Superman, because those are considered the holiest of holy grails. Like right. Action Comics One or Detective Twenty Seven, mm-hmm. you literally are like it's impossible to have one unless you you have millions of dollars. Wow. That's wild. Well, we'll definitely have you back, man. Thanks so much for coming on. And this concludes this episode of the Nerd World Order broadcast. So until next time, ladies, gentlemen, and knights of the Nerd World Order, I am NWO. We are NWO. Nerds redefined. Booyah! Booyah!